We're going to just continue through this, what have you been reading? Just pray that God uses this. Um, just going to share a few verses that God spoke to me on in the past couple weeks here, just reading through the Bible and just trust that God has something we can all take away from it. Uh, I'll pray and then we'll jump in here. God, we do thank you for today. We just thank you for your word. Um, God, we thank you that um, you gave us the Bible and and you let us just hear from you in that word and you speak to us each. And it's just been fun to hear how you've spoken to all the men that have shared in the series and I do pray you just redeem this time. I just thank you for some of the verses you've really spoken to me on in the last couple of weeks and just pray that something would be edifying to the church today. Uh, you redeem the short time we have together and we'd each hear from you today on things we can be working on. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So a lot of us at the Firehouse read the one-year Bible and so Greg shared last week on Romans 1 and 2 so I'm just a little later in Romans. I'm going to share a few verses on Romans 12 and some things God spoke to me on in that. But it's kind of neat to be roughly in the same time frame there and going through the same area. And as I went through this chapter, um, as I looked at it, really it's just a chapter that can just change my life, I thought. And it, there was a few verses and a few themes I caught as I read it. And I saw this clear picture of there's a power to live life in the power of God that's contained in that book. And as disciples of Jesus, we each have this desire to be growing and become more like Christ, and to live a life filled with the Spirit. We desire to see God transform us to be more like Him, to have a life that's really transformed and powerful. And Romans 12 contains a few verses we'll look at today that just speak in how we can grow in these areas. And yet, on the flip side, there's a world that's pulling us in a very different direction. A world that wants to mold us in its image like a cookie cutter. Even many Christians live a life stamped more by the world than by our Savior. And there's this choice that's laid out for us right at the start of the chapter there um, of how we can live a life in God's glory, how we can live a life in the Holy Spirit, or we can live a life just in our own flesh and for our own pleasure. In the first verse, it's up there on the screen, it just says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Sorry to jump right into it. This chapter gets right to the point. Um, but the first point up there is just to present yourself to God as a sacrifice is this theme I saw there at the start and I'll be honest as I look at my life I look at my flesh there's a lot of things in it that what comes natural is not presenting myself as a sacrifice um, the flow of the world the flow of my flesh is to live for myself my flesh wants to make sure that serving God doesn't encroach on my time and my hobbies that I don't have to give up too much of my money to him or the church I want to hold on to balance in my life, whatever that means, and not give too much here or there. Um, I use plenty of phrases if I'm not thinking about it, like I did my part, or I need the day off, or that sounds like too much. Um, it's just what pops out of me. My dreams can be just self-focused on me and my family, what might happen there, what we want to do for vacations, or what retirement would look like, or saving for that, or pleasure for the day. 
And when I look at all these things, it just adds up to putting me on the throne and wanting to get the fruit that comes out of that and living for no one else. And I believe that what God's talking about in this verse is that he wants us to just round up all those things, all those dreams, our heart, ourself, and just place them down on the altar. And say, God, all this stuff, I want it to be the sacrifice before you. I want to hand you all those things and lay it down on the altar. Bill Bright paraphrased this verse saying, present every area of your life to God. It's not just saying, God, speak to me. God, give me a good thought. God, help me understand the Bible better. But God, I give you every area of my life. The areas I care about, the areas that are hidden, the areas I'm proud of, the areas I'm embarrassed about, that I would never want you to know about. God, I place all of it on the altar and all of me. In the Old Testament, an animal is sacrificed on the altar to pay for sin. There's lots of whole books about how that works. But in, it's that context that really this verse is shared in of that sacrifice of animals for sin Um, There's a life given of that animal. There's a blood to pay for sin. And it's in that context we see this verse. And it says, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give up everything to God. And God wants us to freshly place every area of our life on the altar. And I read it and just had to stop and say, God, my heart, my money, my mind, my pleasures, my sexuality, my possessions, my family, it's all yours. I lay it all down. And as it says to give ourselves as a living sacrifice, one takeaway I see is that a living sacrifice has a choice to stay there and to be the sacrifice or to get up and walk away. For the dead animal, it's finished, it's done, it doesn't really have a choice, its blood is spilling out on the table. But as Christians, we have a choice every day. Do I want to keep my life on the altar and sacrifice it to God? Or will I just walk away and do my own thing today? And not be on the altar. And it's right there on the altar when we're submitted over that we're in a position to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. When we're ready to let go of running our life for the day and say, Holy Spirit, lead me today. You're in charge. And the Holy Spirit has a plan for our lives that we can obey and we can walk into every day if we're willing to give every area of our life over to God. We'll cover some fruit of what making that decision means in our life. But the question each of us needs to grapple with, and I've been grappling with this week just as I prayed about this verse, is am I willing to lay my life down on the altar today? Am I willing to say, I'm not the ultimate authority in my life. God is. You can run my life. You can do what you want. And we have a real choice before us. Will I lay myself on that altar? Will I be the sacrifice today? Or will I follow the world and my flesh? And both these decisions have a trajectory they take us in. They both take our life somewhere very different and somewhere far from where we are right now. Just as God is active and moving and wants to take us somewhere, so the world is not idle as well. It doesn't just leave you alone. It doesn't just leave you in the same place. Even if you feel idle in the world, it'll take you somewhere. The world is more like a river. You don't have to swim or labor or try to be swept up and go somewhere in it. 
The world will carry you downstream without even thinking about it into its systems, its values, its pleasures, and ultimately, its depravity. Doctrinally, I believe I should live for Christ, follow Christ, and not follow the world. And I believe if I gave each of you a multiple choice doctrine test today and we passed it out to say, should I live for Christ today or should I live for the pleasures of the world and myself, I think we'd hit near 100% in this room and we'd all get an A. We've got that one down. And yet even though we know that and it's a truth, I'm afraid that in reality our natural bend is far more to be conformed to the world, even as Christians, as we realize I know for me, I'm much more worldly than I want to admit and have things shaped by that. I think we all have more that gets shaped by the world than we want to admit when we're not on the altar and ready for the Spirit to lead us. And we constantly want to be entertained and have other things coming in. You know, I know I can sit on the bus, coming home from work, have my phone in hand, and I can listen to music, I can listen to the radio, I can watch a TV show rerun, I can watch videos, I can get the news, I can look at ESPN, all right from my phone, away from what used to be hooked up to anything. It's really hard to unhook ever and hear that voice of God in our life. Most of it don't do it often, if ever. You know, times where we're really focused in on God and don't just quick check the phone or quick hear from something else. And I just think of those areas of how do we define even what we watch on TV or movies? By what deeply offends us? By what sin is displayed in a movie? Is it just by not watching too much so it doesn't overtake it? Um, You know, Josh Harris in this area said, trying to figure out how much sinful content from media you can handle and still be okay is like a person that takes only half a poison pill every day because only half won't kill me. And when it comes to what we watch or read or listen to, we shouldn't ask how many halves we could take. We need to examine the cumulative effect of our media habits and our attitude towards God and sin and the world. So that whole area of media and what we hear coming in, it just sweeps us down that river of the world. It has a pointed message and it's against God. It's in that world system. Think of another area, just as I thought about this verse of sweeping down, is how do we... Spend our money. How do we define that? You know, most Christians don't even take the first step in tithing a tenth of their income back to God through the church. I think the last year, the Barna Foundation, if you're not familiar with it, it's just a a foundation that has a lot of statistics on churches and polls Christians. But the last year they did statistics, they found only 12% people that would call themselves a Christian tithe and obey a simple command on that. And I can admit it, even when I tithe, my flesh thinks, I did my part. The 10% is in, 90% is mine. My precious. That's what my heart thinks. Unless I renew my mind in the scripture to think, no, 100% is God's. I can justify a lot of things because it was a good deal, because I gave my 10%. um, But I just consume in my life if it's not pointed back to God. If you listen to any ad on the radio or TV for a product, all we hear is you can have it today. You can have it now. You can have it for zero down. You deserve it. It'll make you happier if you get it. It's all pointing you somewhere. And it's not what Jesus teaches. And then there's areas like sexuality. The world's message is that the Bible's out of touch. Marriage is outdated. It doesn't need to be between a man and a woman. It's whatever makes our flesh happy. The world says everyone should use pornography and feel okay about it. 
It's, the world says it's normal to lust over every pretty person that walks by. The world says you need to have sex before marriage to see if you're compatible. It's all against what Jesus says. And it leads you down there. And that's just a few areas to think about the world and just where it's sucking us down the river away from God. Back to Romans 12, 2 there, it says, don't copy the behaviors or customs of the world. Other translations phrase it like this, do not be conformed to the world. And another one says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. It's sobering to stop and think that we have an enemy, Satan, that uses the world to just conform us and squeeze us into a mold like a cookie cutter. And I don't even often stop to think about how it's happening or that it is happening and where that takes my soul if I let it. William MacDonald comments on this verse, saying the world is used here means the society or system that man has built in order to make himself happy without God. It is a kingdom that is antagonistic to God. The God and prince of this world is Satan, and he seeks to attract and hold people through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The world has its own politics, art, music, religion, amusement, thought patterns, lifestyles, and it seeks every, to get everyone to conform to its cultures and customs. And as we take our life to the altar and offer our bodies to God, it's right in that context that God says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let it mold you. Don't let it shape your soul and who you are. And there's been many Christian groups or people through the ages that have read verses like this one, maybe this exact verse, and have said, my goodness, the world is shaping me. The world is stealing my kids. The world is stealing my soul from Jesus. And they've said, what, what can we do? And they've isolated and they've gone out and built whole separate communities away from modern conveniences or things that distracted them because they refused to be swept down the river of the world. I'm sure you can think of a few names in your head. There's been a number of them. But they said, well, we'll make a stand and make sure my family is not conformed to the world and its systems. We want to honor Christ. And traditionally, they were persecuted and mocked for doing that, but they did not lose to the world and get swept down. And while I don't believe God's calling us all to go separate from the world and build a commune somewhere because we'd miss out on that mission to reach the world and be in the gospel, I do respect groups like that greatly for having the courage to obey verses like that and make a stand and say, I'm not just going to get swept in it. I'm going to make a real stand to make sure my family's not just going down the river. I think this is another place where the, the chapter just overlaps with the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Galatians five sixteen and 17, we are told, But I say to you, walk by the, the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets itself against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For they are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So in this realm, the Spirit plays two roles in our life. Um, First, it convicts us. The Spirit looks at things in our life and says, that's the world. That's sin. That sweeps you down the river. That gets you off the altar. That's in your flesh. And secondarily, the Holy Spirit gives us power to resist the world. As it says in Galatians, in the second part of that verse, it says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. There's a power there. There's a power to change and do something different and obey. Back to Romans 12, 
the verse started by saying, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. And then it goes on to say, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So don't get swept down the river of the world. Instead, change the way you think. Another translation says to renew your mind. We tend to think of the Christian life in terms of the first half of that verse. The denying ourselves, the saying no to the flesh, feeling guilty if we don't make it or we're not good enough or we're not cleaned up. But the second half of that verse is really where life starts to come in and the renewing of our mind. The setting our mind on truth. The understanding God's will for our life through the word and walking into it with obedience and faith. So what is this verse talking about? Something I've been chewing on this week. How do we renew our mind? How do we not get swept down the river of the world practically? And the thing God's really speaking to me on is that we read the word of God in the Bible and let the spirit of God speak to us through the word and renew our mind in the truth of the Bible. And we have to make a choice to say, God, I'm going to let you speak to me. I'm going to let you call the shots and set the rules and give direction, override what culture says or what I naturally think, and let the Bible be the authority. People in which I've seen God really get a hold of their lives and do something significant for God and transform usually have strong habits in regards to reading the Bible and how it works in their life. And I'm going to cover three simple habits with the Bible that put us in a position to have our minds renewed and our lives transformed by God. The first is that we need to be reading the Bible regularly. If we're going to let the Bible transform our lives, we need to have it be a regular fixture of our lives. We need to have that question come up, what have you been reading lately, not be something from two weeks ago or a year ago or a conference, but what we're reading. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. I have a seven-month-old baby at home named Josie, and God has really blessed us with her. We joke that she's just a little angel baby because she's just been a sweet baby. She loves to go to bed and nap when it's time to sleep. She smiles and laughs a lot. She loves to play with her sister. She's just an... She's just an easy, good baby. But there's one way in which you can quickly see a much different side of her. If she gets about an hour past mealtime without eating, look out. She turns into a completely different baby. She starts crying uncontrollably. She gets loud. She thrashes in her seat. You can't really comfort her. She goes from this angel baby to, let's just say, a different baby. (laughs) And until she gets her milk, and then she'll just calm down pacify and she's back on track as a normal baby again I think there's two things this verse talks about in relation to that that it pulls out of this analogy of crave the pure milk of the word and one is that the milk is the best thing for that baby you know when she's she's crying it's past meal time we might be able to trick her for a short time and put something else in her mouth give her a bottle full of water or give her one with juice but it's the milk she needs that keeps her healthy and helps her grow and God designed it that way that the milk is the best thing for us and that hits on that craving the pure milk of the word don't crave a book or the newspaper or what famous evangelists say 
or even a Sunday morning message at church or a good teaching on, a, on, a, on your phone, we're told to crave the word of God. You, know, you could trick that baby for a while with juice, but eventually she'll become malnourished and fussy and sick and there'll be really problems in her growth. And you can trick your spirit with the fumes of someone else's thoughts of reading the Bible and how they're applying it. And you could listen to Christian radio all day and you could put sermons on your phone to listen to. But if you don't hear from the word of God in your life and put it into practice, it's like drinking juice instead of milk. And over time you'll be malnourished spiritually. And we're each like that. And the second thing I pull out of this milk analogy is the, the length of time between feedings. And when a baby is first born, they can only go a few hours between feedings all night and day. As parents, we kind of wish they could go about 10 hours that first or second night in the hospital and we're a little confused and don't know what hour or day it is or what week. It just all goes out the window. That first week, you have a new baby. That baby has other ideas and they'll wake up at 2 in the morning and start crying if they're hungry and make sure you feed them. And I believe God uses this metaphor in the Word to let us know that we need to be constantly renewed in the Word. It doesn't take us long to become spiritually hungry and, going, and be going back down the river of the world instead of really renewed in the word. And if our only food in a week was eating ourselves silly at an all-you-can-eat buffet every Sunday, and we tried to eat once a week, it wouldn't go very hot. You'd be full on Sunday, you might be okay on Monday, but by Saturday night, you'd be pretty famished and weak and sick if that's the only time you ate all week. And likewise, it's that way with the word. At least once a day in the word is necessary to renew our minds in the truth. And it's like eating every day that keeps us healthy. And even more than that's good to be in the word. I know a lot of people that write down a verse for a day on a piece of paper to take it with them or put it on their phone in a place they can see it. So they can be renewed throughout the day at work or at school. Because our spirit just strays off that fast even more than once a day. To go back to Romans 12.2. It says that the outflows of daily renewing our life is that you will learn to know God's will for you. God will speak in a personal way that you have us grow and follow him each time we open the word. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. When we crack open that Bible, God's word does something in our heart and our lives. A second habit up there that will really change our lives and renew our mind is just to write down at least one verse that God is speaking us to personally each day. And the spirit of God will use the Bible to speak directly to you when you read it. John 10.27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And God wants to speak to us, like Jesus was talking about there, in a very personal way and have us respond to his voice. And I was convicted just before we start reading even to pray, God, give me at least one verse that you can speak to me on today that I can respond to in a very personal way. And the third thing up there just to walk into is, is renewing our mind in the word, is to obey God's word when we read it. Um, James 1, through 25 says, but just don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, 
that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And that's where real transformation starts to come into our life. We don't just read the word. We don't just feel good about ourselves for doing it. We don't just do it to be able to tell our friends in church, I did it this many days this week, or I'm reading my Bible. We don't even just write it down to study it and look at it uh, more deeply to understand it or be intellectual about it. But we read it to really try to obey the very word of God and know the real God. And much of the transformation that's come in my life through the spirit of God has simply been by writing down a verse when I read the Bible and chewing on it. Just praying, God, do you really mean that? Is that verse as simple as it sounds? Do you want me to live that out today? And then just simply saying, I'll yield in that and obey. And that's where God brings change. And most of the major convictions in my life came just from reading in the Bible in the morning and putting into practice and let God speak. Um, you know, one example, I had quite a history of speeding in my teenage years. I think a lot of teenagers do, so I might not be alone in that. But I was about as bad as they get. And I was pretty arrogant about it, too. Um, I remember frequently going over 100 miles an hour on this 45-mile-per-hour highway in Boulder where I lived. I worked this night shift at a video store. It would close it so I'd work late and then knew I could just kind of cruise 50 miles over and, and make it home and it was okay. And I was pretty arrogant about the whole thing. And I, I started following Christ. I knew I shouldn't do that. Go 50 over, I'm going to end up in jail. But I... I I was mostly living in how could I not get caught by police. If I knew I was on a highway in between exits, I would speed it up. I'd go nine miles an hour over because I didn't think an officer would want to pull me over for a five to nine ticket, probably only for the 10 to 15 one. Um, and that's just kind of the, where the character was at in my life. And I read Romans 13, one through two in a quiet time in the morning, and it said, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authorities come from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone that rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And they will be punished. And I read that and chewed on it. And I was convicted that when I was doing those things, when I was speeding, when I was trying to get away, it wasn't just the police officer I was trying to get away from. Um, I was really going five to nine over between a holy God, or before a holy God, not just an officer. And God started to work in that area of my life, and I yielded and said, I'm going to try to obey those traffic signs the best I can to honor God and not just what I can get away with or think I would get caught with. And God started to build character in my life in that area just by saying, God, I'm going to take that verse and try to obey it the best I can. A more recent example, last week we had a, a little pastor's retreat with Greg and Rich and I. And to start the time, we each read the same passage in the Bible to start the day. Um, we just went out for an hour and had a little time in the word and came back together to pray uh, and so one of the passages we read because it was in the one year bible that day was second chronicles 30 and at the time king hezekiah was king of judah and he called the people to build a temple and start sacrificing and then to celebrate the passover and in verse three of that chapter it says they were unable to celebrate it meaning the passover because of the prescribed time because not enough priests could be purified by them and the people had not yet been assembled at Jerusalem. And as we prayed about purifying and being ready, the Lord placed on my heart a few things, and I think all of us have we read that through that verse a few things. And I just wrote down in my notes, are we ready for God's work as pastors? And we prayed, 
about being purified and ready and we finished kind of a time of prayer and we stopped and the Lord just put a couple things on, my, on our hearts. Um, one was James 5.16. It says, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And Rich brought up this verse and led us into a time of just confessing sin and making sure we were, had been doing that before we were really praying and talking about things that we'd be healed and set apart and ready for the work God had. And another one God was speaking to me on was Matthew five twenty three through 24. It says, Therefore, if any of you are presenting your offering on the altar, and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there on the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then present your offering. And it had been a busy summer. A lot of us had been on the road, and maybe hadn't been as relationally connected as we had it sometimes. And a few things came out of that time that we had to work out relationally to be obeying that verse, just to say, there was some offense here. I think I hurt you here. Will you forgive me here? That we went through that and said, God, we just want to be unified and walk this verse out that we're ready for your work. And so we did that and offered forgiveness and then just prayed to thank God for his grace to help us forgive us of those things and to walk us into what he had for that weekend and what he had for our church um, and it's just an example I think of God blessed a lot of that weekend because we said God we want to walk out in your verses we want to obey and then be ready to hear from you and do the work you have um, you know one just other simple example this week I was just kind of stressed out a morning I'd been working a lot of overtime and I was just busy and I was trying to get to working on this and um just kind of stressed and my soul wasn't settled or at peace and I was reading through Psalm 27 and it said hear me as I pray O Lord be merciful and answer me my heart has heard you say come and talk with me and my heart responds Lord I am coming and I was just convicted am I really going to talk with God I felt God speaking to me saying you're stressed out you're trying to get to work you're trying to have a quiet time to, to calm you down or just to get in the spirit but will you stop and come and talk with me? And I just stopped in the middle of reading and said, Lord, I think I just need to stop and pray and obey. And so I stopped and prayed and um, just tried to be united with God and present before him what was going on and get back to, to working on stuff and getting in the word. Um, it's just a couple examples. Um, but I, I do want you to ask yourself, when was the last time I obeyed a verse in a quiet time that really led to action and obedience to Christ? Was it today when you did your quiet time? Was it last week? Was it a year ago? Was it at a conference? Have you ever read the Bible in that way? I was just convicted and thinking, how often am I really reading like that every day to obey it and walk in it? And I, I encourage you to pray before the next time you open your Bible and, and have a quiet time, just for God to give you verses that you can obey and walk into or learn about him on. Because God will transform your life if you start to live that way as a Christian. Because when we are yielding and obeying and filled with the Spirit, uh, it says later in Romans here that God starts to give out gifts and will transform our lives. Uh, much of the later part says if you're yielded, if you're renewed, if you're walking in that, here's what the Spirit does in your life. It gives out gifts of teaching and serving and giving and leading and showing mercy to those that are yielded to the Spirit and living their life just on the altar given over to God. And in Galatians 5.22, we read some verses out of there of yielding to the Spirit, but it says that there's a fruit that it looks like when someone's life is yielded over to the Spirit. 
It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those are the things that will be evident in the life of anyone who's given over on the altar. It's renewed. Those things will just kind of be visible. And the works in the Spirit will come out of their life when we're living in that power of the Holy Spirit and really have a life given over to Him to be renewed. And as disciples, each of us want to have those things be evident in our life and live in the power of the Spirit. And if we are obedient, just to do those things we talked about today, it's just really simple. It's probably not a new thought for any of us. It wasn't for me this week, more about living it out in a way that really changes my life that might be new as my last few weeks have been compared to just trying to live it out this week. Um, But if we're obedient of placing our life on the altar and saying, God, I give my whole self over to you, I'm turning away from the world, and we renew our mind in the word and just pray about obeying it in a way that will change us and that God can lead us somewhere, we will live in a changed life and we will see the power of the Spirit at work in our lives. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for today. We just thank you for your word. We thank you for a chance to look at it today here. We thank you for this series and even an encouragement to be in the word. I feel like it was a two-parter for me to just talk about what I've been reading. I also felt you encouraging me on what are you reading? How's the word touching you? And I just pray for each of us. You'd help us be men and women that are in your word, that have habits, and God, that we also try to live it out and just obey your word very simply and say, God, I'm going to let you be the authority. I'm going to let you run my life and I want to follow and obey you through your word and live a renewed and transformed life. And I pray it would be a church where that would be evident and you'd see those fruits of the spirit carried out in gifts being played out and you'd see it in, in those fruits of the spirit and and how our heart is settled and peaceful and we have a joy of the Spirit. Um, And we just pray this today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.